This is the John Oakley Show podcast. 435 on a great day for talk radio. Uh, it's a day where there's a lot of talk taking place. As a matter of fact, Bell is sponsoring this. Uh, it's an annual occurrence now, Let's Talk Day, hoping to destigmatize mental illness and raise awareness and so on and so forth. And uh, are they having any success in that regard? Uh, are we making progress on that front? Uh, more accepting, accommodating, yada, yada. Let's find out. Dr. Oren Amate has joined us on the line, registered psychologist and media consultant. Oren, good to have you back in the Oakley Show as always. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. So what's your sense? Is mental illness becoming less stigmatized? Well, it is, but it's got a long way to go. And one thing that I always say is even if the public, you know, is more accepting of it, the fact is what really makes somebody feel whether it's okay to talk about it is how it's dealt with within the home, okay, or whatever their immediate environment is. And unfortunately, far too many people still have environments where the stigma is very strong. Well, you know, I uh, actually offered up that question just uh, rhetorically, I guess, off the top of the program. I mean, if you don't believe in stigmatizing people with mental health issues, would you date or hire or room with a person who's, say, schizophrenic, bipolar, or has a history of psychotic episodes? That would be the real litmus test, wouldn't it? Well, it would, and I'm always... um sympathetic and empathetic to both sides because let's say somebody has major depression the fact is let's say you marry them there is a pretty good chance that you're going to spend months on end dealing with somebody who can't function at all so on one hand we want people to be compassionate and not stigmatized but on the other hand uh, we have to recognize that doing that does come with a huge burden uh, or potential burden so what advances are we making? I mean, is it uh, strictly, you know, I mean, apart from destigmatizing to a certain extent, as you've just explained, I mean, at least in theory, uh, but pharmaceutically, I mean, are we addressing mental illness in a, a more practical and reasonable way? Well, we're doing great PR work. I mean, that's what we can say, like, on days like this. Uh, are we actually making an impact? I would hope so. But unfortunately, a lot of the money that goes into, uh, like, we you know, when we, when we gather the money, it goes into a lot of research, which, of course, is important. We need the research. We need to see whether there are better interventions, whether it's medical or therapeutic. But what we really need is a government to get off their asses and to finally say, we're going to invest in making sure that anybody, regardless of their financial situation, has proper and immediate access to health care, mental health care. And we failed. Every government on all levels has failed for these many years. They talk a good game. None of them has actually delivered. All right. So if you had to expand uh, the, the resources for mental health care, uh, where would you start? I mean, you're a clinical psychologist. Uh, how would you go about this? Well, it has to be practical and realistic. I would go for frontline workers. Um, it doesn't have to be a psychologist. I mean, we do have special training and uh, lots of experience and knowledge, but, you know, having uh, outreach workers, having uh, places, for example, if someone's hospitalized and then they are let go, you know, they're released, uh, making sure that there's uh, aftercare, uh, that we have, you know, proper, uh, let's say, group homes, a lot of outreach, basically, um, making sure that if somebody calls, let's say, a community center or, you know, whatever local center they have, you know, for their cultural background, for example, that there are people on staff who don't have to be psychologists, but they should have proper training. And, I mean, that's where a psychologist should really play a role that we have to be the ones to really help lead the way with understanding mental illness and being able to treat it and and to basically treat people as human beings rather than a constellation of symptoms.
Now, in general, Lauren, do you think that we're seeing more incidents of mental illness or it's just that it's easier to report and therefore the numbers seem to be increasing? I think it's a bit of both. Um, I do definitely think among young people we're seeing far more depression and anxiety and stress-related illnesses. And I don't think it's only because we now recognize it better. I really do think it's this is a, a you know part of uh, parenting that I've lamented many times. It's also part of the education system that is basically making kids and university students feel that they're fragile, that they need safe spaces, that they can't deal with you know, challenging topics, and that's a serious problem because a lot of you know certain mental illnesses like schizophrenia, you've got it. You know, if you have it, you've got it. You can't deny it. But a lot of the mental health issues that we're seeing whether it's in school, at work, or elsewhere, can be treated with a proper mindset, with proper supports, with proper self-care, with proper you know, um, ways of approaching things. And I, I think the society in the last couple of years is really dropping the ball on that one. Yeah, it seems like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you'd like people to be more forthcoming. On the other, uh, they may be forthcoming to a point where if they're feeling blue, they ascribe that to mental illness. Exactly, and that's where we have to be very careful. So, I, and that's why I want, whether I'm working with uh, other therapists or with, with my patients or students, I'm trying to help them take that nuanced perspective. You know, be compassionate, um, but don't over-pathologize people and try to really encourage them to find the strength within themselves and to, you know, to do what's right for themselves. And again, a lot of these issues can be dealt with without medication. Some need medication, others don't, and the support is essential. And that's where we, you know, circle back to the, uh, the stigma. If someone feels in their circle, um, or if they're willing to take a risk and hope that someone won't stigmatize against them, then reaching out is one of the most important things that they can do. Be selective in whom you know to whom you reach out, um, but you know try to avail yourself of that social support. Again, I can't stress that enough. Uh, with Dr. Oren Amate, registered psychologist and media consultant on this matter of uh, mental health awareness. Effectively, that's uh, a big Bell-sponsored program today. Let's talk, and that's what we're doing about it. You know, you talk about risks uh, and medication. So let me ask, is there a risk that we've got an over-medicated society? Oh, that's not, that's not a risk anymore. It's a, it's a reality. Um, we are far too over-medicated. And as I said, there are some people who definitely need medication. I used to think that they didn't until I worked in a hospital and saw some people can't get out of bed without depression. Some people are crawling out of their skin without medication. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, again, serious, the most serious issues of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, OCD. Like There's a lot of issues that do require medication, but that medication is not the cure. It's only something that can help them to make it through the day and to kind of stabilize themselves enough so that uh, they can you know, avail themselves of their own resources, their internal resources, to try to do what they can. But again, if someone needs the medication, they shouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, they should do their due diligence and make sure that they are getting the right medication. And if it's not working, they can't assume that their doctor or psychiatrist or whoever is going to check up on them. They have to be good advocates for themselves. Yeah, when you say uh, you believe we're over-medicated, uh, is there any way of reining that in or being responsible with the forms of medication and those who are uh, obviously in dire need? 
Well, it's, it's education and training for the uh, the gatekeepers, the doctors. Most people aren't going to see a psychiatrist. They're going to see their general practitioner. And those uh, doctors, um, they get uh, visited by drug reps. And the drug reps tell them, you know, these are the medications to give for this, this, and this condition. And there are far too many doctors who are willing to give it without, you know, seeing whether there's a better way of dealing with the issue. Um, or they give it and they don't make sure that the person's following up with other forms of treatment, which would be like psychotherapy. Um, so, so, you know, I can usually predict what uh, de- uh, antidepressant medication a patient is on, depending on like the, the season or uh, the year. So like right now, uh, Ciprolex is the sexy drug. Everyone seems to be on Ciprolex before it was Celexa or Paxil, you know, and, and it don't, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact where these drug companies, they work on promoting their drugs. And part of that is to really uh, promote the mental illness that the drug is supposed to treat. Right. Easier to deal with the symptoms and get down to the root causes. Finally, I've got to ask you, because I've been reading a lot of late uh, with the legalization of pot and uh, the developing uh, young brain up until the age of 25, uh, that there are some who are very dubious that legalization was a good path to take because if it increases consumption in that uh, demographic or cohort, uh, there's a lot of maybe unintended consequences, psychoses, uh, schizophrenia, violence, that kind of thing. I mean... Is a jury in on this, or uh, is it still very much a social experiment? We're waiting to find out if we're going to reap a bitter harvest here. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a social experiment. Um, for example, the schizophrenia link, there's no evidence that marijuana is in of itself causes schizophrenia. But in people, who, young people who are vulnerable to schizophrenia or psychotic symptoms, they are far more susceptible to developing it uh, at that time, you know, if they're using a lot of marijuana. But the, the marijuana in of itself isn't going to cause it. But what you just described about all these risks in the developing brain, the sad thing is that most of the medications that are prescribed today, including to kids, have the same possible risk factors. We're giving speed, basically, to you know so many kids. When we talk about um, ADHD, uh, antidepressants, bipolar medication, uh, heavy medi- you know, psych- uh, neuroleptic or psychotropic medications are being given to younger and younger children without enough oversight. So marijuana is the least of our problems. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess we'll end on that ominous note. I wish I wish there were an answer to reverse uh, what seems to be this inexorable march to uh, continued medication and even amping that up. Uh, but I don't see it. Do you? Uh, no. Uh, people like the easy route. And unfortunately, that you know, it, people don't like to work hard to succeed. Um, so if you want to deal with mental issues or mental illness, mental health issues, uh, you have to work really hard. And success is attainable, but if it comes in a little pill, people would rather go that route. Mm. Oren, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Appreciate your uh, enlightening us. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for spending time on this very important matter. You got it. Dr. Oren Amate again, registered psychologist and media consultant. I wanted to talk about young people, the junior kindergarten cohort. Uh, it may be the last year, next year, before uh, things change again, revert back to a uh, a pre-JK or all-day kindergarten scenario that Dalton McGinney brought in for $1.5 billion. Uh, you've got the Ford government looking at that. We'll talk about it next here on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.